You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Lots to do. Plenty on the docket for this uh, Monday edition. Hopefully everyone had a uh, amazing weekend. Had some fantastic weather. Always uh, helps you be a little bit more optimistic about things when the weather cooperates. So uh, let's roll. Of course, the number, you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question will be up momentarily. But let's start there because we have, as I said, a lot of stuff on the docket. The Last Dance, the documentary series about the Bulls dynasty ended last night. Hopefully you were able to take in maybe one of the episodes, maybe both of the episodes. I would figure if you're up at this time, maybe you squeezed in one. I squeezed in episode nine. Uh, I, I was saving episode 10 for today. And we'll kind of discuss that on the show tomorrow. But you have the DeAndre Baker case all of a sudden uh, getting a little uh, more interesting than what maybe was initially reported, at least according to the New York Post. And then you have Phil Jackson trying to apparently rewrite history, at least his biographer trying to rewrite history. But let's start with The Last Dance because, as I said, episodes 9 and 10 aired last night. Uh, I watched episode 9. Tomorrow we'll touch on episode 10. Episode 9 dealing with uh, the flu game, the 97 title the fifth of the six championships. Uh, Steve Kerr getting a major push in Episode 9. The Jordan Entourage getting a major push in Episode 9. And it feels like every episode has had to include some bizarre way in which Michael Jordan motivated himself. And I guess you'd, if you have to pick one thing out in Episode 9, it was uh, Byron Russell, or Brian Russell, excuse me, uh, who happened to joke... When Jordan was retired, he tells a story Michael Jordan did of when he was retired and was playing baseball. He went to see the Utah Jazz at one point and went to say hi to uh, Carl. I think it was the Jazz were practicing in Chicago and he went by to see Jordan. Uh, Jordan went by to see uh, Malone and Stockton. And there is uh, Brian Russell. And Russell, at least according to Jordan, was telling him, well, why'd you retire? I, I was going to, you know, I could shut you down, blah, blah, blah. And so Jordan says that got him put on the list. This list must have been about a mile long. Like, think about where he is in that point, right? He's retired. We all kind of thought, and I'm sure he probably did too, that at some point he would return to basketball. It maybe not as quickly as he eventually did. But at that point, he was not a basketball player, but yet the guy – uh, Brian Russell was still put on the list. The amount of people who were put on this list is uh, is is legendary. Maybe the uh, pizza maker in Utah should have been on that list because uh, episode nine also touches on the flu game. And uh, after all these years, we get uh, more details on it. It was not the flu. It actually seemed like it was food poisoning. And Jordan goes through the story of how he had not basically eaten that day. And at uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night, they're staying in Utah. Not that many places open. Apparently, the hotel they were staying in did not have room service. I mean, what year are we living in? I mean, this is not 1920. I mean, it was it was the 90s. How could it be that you're Michael Jordan, you're staying in this big hotel, you can't get someone in the hotel to make you food when you're Michael Jordan? Seems kind of strange. But uh, they detail the story, and Jordan's entourage kind of helps out that the pizza arrives and wherever they got this pizza from five guys delivered the pizza and they make it seem like it was 
They knew right away as soon as the pizza arrived. One of the guys, he, he, he didn't like this. He didn't like the way it looked. Wait, I mean, talk about revisionist history. That they knew somehow there was some inkling that he was going to get food poisoning from this pizza. Do you realize how hard it is to get food poisoning from pizza? It's not chicken. It's not fish. It's not something that needs to be. It's bread, sauce, and cheese. But apparently he got the the uh, the food poisoning from the pizza. So, uh, you know, episode nine was much more uh, focused on basketball. You know, look, at this point of the documentary series, right, like it seemed like each episode, especially the first ones, kind of detailed what was going on, but but focused singularly on one person, be it Pippen, be it Rodman, be it Phil, be it Krause. Um, this one, I guess it kind of focused some on Steve Kerr, the backstory that has been well documented at this point about his father being assassinated in Lebanon. Uh, but this was a much more business-like episode, and the footage was, as always, excellent. I mean, Jason Eyre, who was on with uh, Scott Van Pelt last night on SportsCenter and has obviously gotten all the accolades, as he rightfully should, for this series, the amount of footage that he had to go through, I think he said something like 10,000 hours worth of footage to to run through to put together this documentary, and some of it was just unbelievable. Uh, there was one shot of in one of the playoff games against Indiana. Reggie Miller hits this this late three, and you know the, it's a game in Indiana, and the building's going bananas, and Reggie Miller's running up and down the court, basically dancing because they've hit this shot with like seconds to play, and they have a fantastic shot of of Larry Bird, who's coaching the Pacers at that time, doesn't even move. Doesn't even flinch, doesn't even react in any way because he looks up at the clock. He realizes there's still a couple of seconds left. And obviously the Bulls have Michael Jordan. Now the Pacers did go on and win that game, but that footage was unbelievable. After that series is over, after the Bulls win game seven, they have a shot, I guess, you know, in the bowels of the United Center with Michael Jordan going up to Larry Bird after it's all over. Some cursing goes on, as you would expect, but that footage is unbelievable. So I still have one episode left. Uh, it has been a fantastic series. It has been a fantastic job by Jason Ayer, who I said was uh, on with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter last night. Uh, and he said that, uh, you know, this series was not actually supposed to start airing until July. And even though some of the episodes were already in the can, as they say, he did not actually finish editing episode 10 until Thursday. Here's Jason Ayer on Sports, on Sports Center last night. Had been sitting in a dark edit room for over two years with this material and seen, especially the earlier episodes uh, before the quarantine. I think we had four done in totality. So we had seen those over and over and over again. No jokes were funny to us. No moments were new to us. <laughs> right. No songs were fresh to us. This one is a little bit different, these two tonight, because we just finished these episodes in the last eight weeks. And indeed, in episode 10, we just finished on Thursday. So um, <laughs> it's a little bit less stale in our minds. Okay, so there's Jason Ayer from SportsCenter last night. Now, as I said, I did not see episode 10, but obviously episode 10 is the is the final one. So I'm assuming, and, and just from reading stuff, it seems like there's going to be much more focus on the end of the dynasty, right? This is the last dance and whether or not it could have kept going. It seems pretty clear that the Bulls and Michael Jordan said that he felt like they deserved 
a chance to keep running it back until they eventually got knocked off. Part of the, the, the lure of Jordan in these debates is that he is the great champion, he is the great player, and he never got knocked off, you know, especially in the NBA at that time or really in any sport at, at most times. You know, if you have a dynasty, they eventually get knocked off by someone else and then that dynasty gets knocked off. The Bulls never got knocked off by anybody. Six for six and rode off into the sunset and part of that was the, the doing of management. And it has been highlighted in other episodes. I've not seen episode 10, as I said, but it's been highlighted in other episodes about Jerry Krause's role in telling Phil Jackson, even before the season began, that you can go 82 and 0 and you will not be back here next year. It was a real push just to bring Phil back for the sixth championship. But here is Jason Ayer answering the question about Krause not being alive to defend himself. And I guess some of the criticism has been of the documentary series that Krause has been painted as the villain. Yeah, there's not much I can do except to mine all the footage that we had of him. And I, I if, if there is one person that we could have spoken to for this that we didn't, it's Jerry Krause. Because I wanted to personalize him. The, the way that it's been construed has surprised me because I've read or, or heard people say that we cast him as the villain deliberately. I wanted to display as much as possible the type of, of bullying and abuse that he was enduring in those early episodes in order to sympathize with him. So the, the intention was there, but, but the way that it was construed was a little bit different. You know, Jerry made decisions that resulted in the downfall of this dynasty. That, that's not to say that other people didn't behave in ways that they probably regret too. But if Jerry doesn't go to Phil and say, you could go 82 and 0, you're leaving no matter what, then that leaves the door open for Jerry Reinsdorf to come in at the end of the season and say, do you want to stay for another year? And maybe Phil says, you know what? Okay. But I think it was untenable at that point. But I do, I do regret anyone thinking that we deliberately were, were certainly not mocking Jerry Krause because I've said to anyone who will listen to me, clearly Michael is the alpha and the omega of that dynasty. Nothing happens without him, but he was the only piece in place when Jerry Krause came in there. Jerry Krause is the one who drafted. Grant and Pippen. Jerry Krause is the one who who had the guts to trade Oakley for Cartwright. Jerry Krause is the one who put the Steve Kerrs and the John Paxons and the Tony Kukoches and the Dennis Rodmans in a place to help the way that they helped. So I have enormous respect for him, and I hope the viewers do too. Oh, okay, so a couple of points on that. Uh, I don't think, at least not for me, maybe other people have put that at the feet of Jason Ayer about, and I do think that Krause has been portrayed as a villain in the story. If Jordan is the hero, there have to there has to be someone on the other side of that. But I didn't feel like it was Jason Ayer or the documentary that it was pointing Krause as the villain as much as it was in Jordan's eyes. I think that Michael Jordan views Jerry Krause as a villain, as someone who destroyed the dynasty and did not allow it to run its course as most other dynasties would, right? To eventually get knocked off at some point. Now, I don't, I wouldn't put that primarily at Jerry Krause's feet. I think you would have to put that at Jerry Reinsdorf's feet, the owner of the team. He's the one who eventually, ultimately makes the decisions on whether or not they could have brought Phil back for another year. And Jordan has been on record as saying that while the financial aspects, that's something that Reinsdorf has pointed out before that it was, it would just got too expensive. To bring all these people back, Jordan has pointed out that most people would have been willing, if, if Jordan was willing to take less, that would have certainly impacted other people to take less. Phil would take less. Scotty, while he seemed to have his mind made up, 
he probably would have been able to been talked into returning for another year. So I didn't get the sense that Jason Ayer, the director of the documentary, has portrayed Jerry Krause as the villain as much as I think that in Michael Jordan's eyes, Jerry Krause has uh, been the villain. Or at least he holds him much more responsible for some of the decisions that were made. And look, Jordan is the alpha, right? As, as Jason brought up, he, he's the ultimate alpha who is all about getting the credit. So he probably feels like, we've seen this in other things, where if somebody's getting too much credit and, and someone else feels like that credit is not deserved, they go out of their way to make sure that they shoot them down. And I think that to a certain degree, Michael Jordan feels that like maybe Jerry Krause got too much credit for the work that was put in. So I didn't get the sense that Jason Ayer was portraying uh, Jerry Krause as, as being the villain. I, I think that that's kind of what Michael Jordan's opinion has been throughout the ser- throughout this series, and not even so much in this series, but you look at, back at the footage, and that was his feeling at the time. I think that Michael Jordan, while not completely on guard with the camera right in his face, but he has been somewhat sensitive towards how he is being portrayed. This idea that he, you know, oh, everybody's going to hate me now when they see that. I mean, that was a huge, huge, uh, oh, I, I mean, that that's blowing things up way out of proportion because that has not been uh, the way that the, that the documentary series has played out. I mean, there, I mean, talk about hyperbole. That, that, that's just completely not true. Everything in this documentary has funneled into, even some of the, the, the touchy topics has funneled into the greatness of Michael Jordan. There has not really been much focus, uh, not sustained focus, on the negative sides of it, of his personality, of, 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 of doing things that were completely unnecessary. It is all kind of focused on the greatness of Michael Jordan. So uh, I think it's been a fantastic documentary series. The project had some things going for it that I don't think others do. And it, look, it's been a fantastic ride. And as I said, I still have the one episode left. But I wonder, you know, now that we've had the OJ documentary series, which to me is still there's not been that many documentary series. And maybe now this will lead to more documentary series, you know, with all these different options now streaming Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus. It seems like everyone is desperate for content. And I wonder now if there's now going to be a bigger push to have more multi-episode documentaries rather than just having, you know, a two- or three-hour documentary movie. Now, that this project, I think, had some things going for it that most others don't, right? They have an abundance of material. It's not just about one guy, although it was primarily focused on Michael Jordan. It's about a team, and you can tell a lot of different stories within that team. But it's also a sport that leads to debate. I mean, it seems like basketball debates are the Jordan of debates. <laughs> the all the other sports are the are the LeBrons. Uh, basketball, for whatever reason, the debates seem to resonate there uh, further than than other ones. And the access to me was the vital part of it. It's not just the footage, which has been sensational, but getting the access to Jordan and his point of view is what really what has made this all work. And it's great that they talk to all these other people. But it's all about Jordan, and I think that that's just uh, I think that's just the way he wanted it. So the poll question, which is going up momentarily here on Twitter at Gordon Damer, is all about if you had now that the the last dance is done, if you had to pick a subject, an athlete for another for the next 
10-part documentary series, not just about one documentary. It's about 10 parts. Who would it be? I gave you four options, and I'll explain who the options are coming up. Our poll question, which is up for today. It's on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. All right, we're talking about the last dance in our opening segment. But uh, now that it's done, maybe you haven't seen episode, you know, all at all the full uh, 10 episodes as of yet. But uh, if you've been into it, obviously it's been sensational. I would not, I still don't think I would put it over the OJ documentary. And I, I think the reason why I say that is the OJ documentary I went into thinking to myself, you know what? Do I really need more information on this? Like, hasn't this topic been done and done? And it, I mean, it's been so covered. It's been so sensationalized from here until kingdom come. And then you, you start, and I almost had to be like forced to watch it. And not maybe forced, but like, I did not go into it like I went into this Bulls document. Like this one I was looking forward to. The, 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 the OJ one, uh, I was not really anticipating it, but it got so many amazing reviews and so many people were raving about it that I'm like, all right, you know what? I guess I have to. And you got into it and, and very early on. You, I, I know I did. I was, I was hooked, right? I was hooked after I think the first episode. So this documentary, I went into anticipating it, even knowing that I was not on the winning side of things. I, I, you know, as a Nick fan, I was always wanting Jordan to, even if it wasn't the Knicks, I wanted somebody to eventually take him down and nobody ever did. So, but just as, as Jordan is a fascinating character, not just because he was the great champion, but his mindset, which I feel like so many others have picked up upon and used that mindset, even if it's, I don't know if it's a hundred percent true. Maybe they had it anyway. Maybe they would have had it anyway, but it feels like it has been a replay of this Jordan psychotic need to win at not just the sport, not just the individual matchups, but in anything. Off the court. And I would have liked, I don't know, maybe episode 10 will focus on that. Uh, I don't think so. But, you know, you hear, you heard so many stories, like the one story that he heard uh, of Jordan that we have not gotten this so far was how he would bet guys on his team about whose luggage would come out of the, you know, the, the, the roundabout first at the airport. Or whose luggage would come out first, and he would bet them. And he'd already paid off the guys who handled the luggage to make sure that his luggage came out. That those, I mean, that's the kind of psychotic behavior that I was looking forward to. But all right, now that the the ten part documentary series is done, if you had to pick someone else to be the subject, and I wanted to go athlete. If you had to pick an athlete, who would it be? To be uh, and and the four I gave you and look there's there's plenty of options uh, that you could give and I'm sure that people will will you can certainly mention it you can certainly get in at one hundred one eight hundred nine one nine ESPN but the four I went with was a Barry Bonds think about all the things that Barry Bonds is the greatest I've said this a thousand times is the greatest baseball player unless you're like a hundred years old that we've any we've ever seen and we will ever see. Like, you kind of forget about it now, almost like, you know, to not that we forgot about Jordan, but this is kind of highlighted again, just how he was the greatest. Bonds, if you if you had a conversation before this documentary about who the greatest player was, nine times out of ten, I mean, unless you're a younger fan, 
Jordan's name would certainly get brought up. Baseball, I don't know. I mean, Bonds would get brought up, but it would not be overwhelming, and it should be overwhelming. It should be absolutely overwhelming that Barry Bonds' name should be brought up. And think about, you know, if you were going to have a 10-part documentary, you have to have a lot of different stories to tell. And from Bonds's initial, you know, the fact that his father was a major leaguer, the, the, the early part of his career in Pittsburgh, the disappointments that they always had in Pittsburgh, and then, <laughs> gee, what happened to Barry? He looks like a different guy. All that part of it, the, the post career, how he was essentially blackballed from baseball. Like, he, it's pretty clear if you look at his production, even in the final years of his career, Barry Bonds was still as productive a play, maybe not the most productive. He was 41, 42 years old, but he was more productive than a whole lot of players that were still playing. And he was essentially blackballed by baseball because they did not want that topic to be continually brought up, which obviously would, it was the elephant in the room and the elephant's head was not nearly as big as Barry's. So Barry Bonds is the first option we've given you. Number two, which I will say right now, I would think this is probably the guy who will win. It's not, it would not be my pick, but this is probably the guy who would win, and it would it, it would be sensational, although it has kind of been a little bit done to death. Option two would be Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson, all the different stories that have already been told, if you could somehow – get a way to tell the story in a different way with different footage. I, I don't know if that's even possible. Different people to talk to. I don't know if that's even possible. But the subject itself of his life, his early life, his early career, the I mean, much like Jordan, if you were talking about the, a word, a singular word to describe Mike Tyson at his peak, it was inevitable, right? It was inevitable that Mike Tyson was going to win the fight. It was most guys were beaten even before Tyson got in the ring. The persona of Mike Tyson in that early career as he was coming up and became champion and all those, and then obviously the the, the rise, the fall, and then the rise again. It seems like Mike Tyson has been, uh, it's kind of surprising, right? When you looked at the way that his career went at a time, if you would have told yourself back then, if you had a time machine to say that Mike Tyson is living and, and seemingly living well at this point of his life, uh, I don't know. Mike Tyson would have predicted that. Never mind uh, just uh, fans and observers and, and media people. So Mike Tyson is option number two. Option number three, Tiger Woods. The great, I mean, talk about having stories to tell. And I don't know that it's necessarily been done to death at this point. Like individual parts of of Tiger's career have obviously been documented time and time again. But to tell a whole story about Tiger Woods, and I guess the, the, the difficult part there would be that his career is not over, right? Like the first two, it seems like Barry Bonds and Mike Tyson, not that they're, you know, they're still, I'm sure, doing things, but, and who knows, maybe Mike Tyson will be back in the ring before we know it. But Tiger Woods' career is not over yet, so it would be a little harder to do a definitive 10-part documentary series on him, but considering all the different aspects of his career, his life, talk about rise and fall, man. You, you can't have much more of a rise and fall than that. So Tiger Woods is uh, another option you have there. And then the fourth one, I wanted to put a football player in there. Um, you know, OJ has been obviously already been done. 
Uh, I was just trying to find another uh, somebody who I would feel like a 10-part documentary series. I don't know that I necessarily nailed it, but the one that came most to mind, and again, it's kind of like Tiger Woods, where it would be difficult to do right at this moment. The fourth guy I had was Tom Brady. Tom Brady, all the championships, the New England, I mean, the, the, the New England aspect of it and the, the dynasty aspect of it would certainly lead you to believe. And you talk about having, you know, time and time again to be able to win from where he was drafted, that whole story, which has been, you know, done to death and is done every single year around draft time. But those are your four options. You can vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Dammer. You know, I think that it would be difficult. If his career were over, I would say it would be Tiger Woods. Because I feel like that one, even though Tiger has obviously been a huge focus every single year since he was basically 18 years and even before, right? I mean, you have the the, the stuff uh, on the Mike Douglas show when he was like five years old and all that kind of stuff. Um, but his relationship with his dad and all, you know, all that kind of thing, that would be fascinating. But the fact that his career is not over and we don't really know how it ends at this point, it certainly seems like you could do the, the bulk of his career is over, but there's still, you know, there might still be stories left to tell. I mean, a couple of years ago, if you were doing the 10 part documentary series, it would certainly be ending on a much more down note than it would be right now. And you would have a whole, you could do a whole hour episode of, of the, the false restarts of Tiger Woods. Is he back? Is he not? You know, I mean, that, that you could do over and over again. I think if I had to pick one, I, I think I would, I think I would do Barry Bonds. I think that there's more than enough material there and it would, it would require getting access to him. And I don't know whether or not he would be willing to do it, but if he were, I think that that's probably where my vote would go would be Barry Bonds. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So if you have a, a, a suggestion that I did not hit on, you can certainly tweet us or give us a call. Um, but coming up, let's get into uh, the DeAndre Baker story, which actually had a pretty uh, – it certainly seemed like that case might be a little bit more complex, at least the way the New York Post is reporting it. And then you have Phil Jackson's biographer. Apparently his next project is trying to rewrite history. So we'll touch on those two. <laughs> Popped up right field near the line. O'Neill appears to have room. He puts it away, and David Wells has pitched a perfect game. Hot the call. 27 up, 27 down. 1998. Sensational season for the Yankees. The greatest season uh, that we'll all ever probably see. And a perfect game by David Wells, where back in the day, it felt like uh, the Yankees had, <laughs> even though it's, they're very rare, it seemed like uh, every year the Yankees have a no-hitter, perfect game. David Wells, David Cohn. We had uh, Doc Gooden's per, uh, no-hitter the other day. What was that, Thursday, Wednesday, whenever that was? So there you go, your moment of inspiration for this Monday morning. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Our poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, is all about the conclusion of The Last Dance last night. Episodes 9 and 10 aired. So that is in the books. And our poll question for today is all about uh, if you had to pick another athlete for a 10-part documentary series, who would it be? Now, I tried to keep it. More recent, somebody uh, tweeted me LT would be fascinating. Absolutely would be. 
Now, whether or not you could tell the real stories, that's what you would need, right? You can't have the sugar. That If you had on one channel the uncensored and then on another channel you had the censored version, boy, those two documentaries, that, that you'd have to produce two different shows. So those that would be fascinating. But I tried to keep it a little bit more recent. So we went with Barry Bonds, Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady. I'm certain that Ty- Mike Tyson is going to win. Although I have to say, surprised that at least in the early voting, Tiger Woods is holding tough. If it were me, if it were my vote, I'd say Barry Bonds. But let's get some uh, calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Go out to uh, Dale is in. I can't see it on my screen here. But let's go to Dale. <laughs> hey, Dale, what's morning, going on? Brother, how are you today? Uh, yeah, I wanted to touch on the poll question. I like the idea of doing a, an individual athlete, but I would really love to see something on the late 90s Yankees dynasty. I mean, yeah. we all know that there was, uh, I would love to see the behind-the-scenes aspect of it, like we got to see in the Bulls documentary, especially that we all know there's some documented things going on, uh, some, uh, I guess you would say, like, um, heated debates between Brian Cashman and Derek Jeter over contracts. And I would just really like to see more behind the scenes of that, that era of the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Yankees are generally pretty uh, closed-lipped. You know, I don't know if uh, if you would be able to get the access, but in terms of a story, absolutely. I mean, the 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 suspension of George Steinbrenner, and it's funny. I was actually cleaning out stuff uh, over the weekend, and Dale, thanks for the call. Um, and I found you know old articles and this and that of when George got suspended by Faye Vincent, and you could go back to that time and and the downfall, the early success that George had as owner, and then the downfall where the Yankees really became kind of the laughing stock of baseball. George, between firing managers here and there, I mean, everybody talks about how Dolan is perceived, uh, James Dolan is perceived in New York, and you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, fans of of James Dolan, but the, the, the hatred for George Steinbrenner People forget now. I mean, he is, he is, he's thought of as this saint, right? Because the way things wrapped up, but there was a time where he was the most hated sports figure in this town. And when he was suspended by Faye Vincent, I can tell you, Yankee fans celebrated that day. They were ecstatic that day. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff there with the 90 Yankees, the, the down, you know, the, the downturn of the dynasty where it seemed like they were the laughing stock of baseball, especially when, you know, in the eighties, the Mets were the toast of the town and they were the pick of the town and the 86 Mets. I mean, a lot of people have brought that up as well. I, I don't know if you could do a 10 part documentary series on, you know, one team. You'd have to kind of have a, a dynasty aspect to it and the 96 team and then. What the Yankees became after that with the, you know, the 96 team is, is, there was a lot of the same pieces on the 96 team and the dynasty team, but there were a lot of changed pieces too. And losing in 97 and then coming back in 98 the way they did. No, that, that certainly is, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to focus on a team because it's kind of hard. There's not that many dynasties, right? It's either the Patriots, the Yankees. Is there any other dynasties really here over the last 20 years? Spurs. The spur, oh boy, talk about a boring document. That would be oh really my boring. God, that would be, that would put you to sleep. You'd have 10 minutes and you'd be boom, right out. It would be like a TV ambient. No, I don't, uh, I don't want anything about You also the got the Lakers with Shaq, nah, Kobe. No, nah. no, nah, nah. nah. I mean, I guess, I guess it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really appeal. I, and I'm sure maybe people will bring up Kobe. That's certainly a possibility. And it will That's probably the be the Golden State I Warriors. 
What's that? The Golden State Warriors would be later on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because that, you that have story's Draymond. Not done. You know, that story's really not done yet. They've had the, the, the setback this year, and, and who knows when we'll get back to it. But um, all right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN. Mario is in Brooklyn. Mario. Hey, good morning, Mr. Damon. How are you? I'm good, Mario. What's going on, man? Excellent. Just driving in from work, going to work, uh, essential employee EMS. Uh, God bless you, my the man. Show. I love it. I ride with you in the morning every time. Thanks, man. I was telling I your producer it. that, uh, no problem. Thanks. I was telling your producer, Lance Armstrong. Um, yeah. and he told me that they had that, that documentary coming in. But I also suggested, uh, a documentary on, uh, Derek Jeter and more of the dark side on Derek Jeter, his social life. Cause he's so private. You know, everybody knows about the things between, you know, his social life being the women he dated, uh, the animosity between him and A-Rod, mm-hmm. uh, the tribulations mm-hmm. that he went through and his leadership ability for the, the Yankees through the 90s and all that. So there's a lot yeah. going on there that nobody really talks about. Yeah, I think for it to be successful, though, I think you, you, you can't really focus it on the dirt so much, right? Like, and, and again, one of the things about this documentary series is that you got the access, and I, you would never. I mean, I, I don't know him, but I, I'll tell you, I, I can't see any way that Derek Jeter would ever sit down for a documentary series like Jordan did, unless it focused exclusively on what he wanted to talk about. So there would be no negativity uh, whatsoever, and that's something that not that I wanted a lot more of it in the Jordan stuff, but I would have liked a, a little bit, maybe more even hand. And not uh, another story about how somebody disrespected Michael Jordan and he put them on the list. You know, I, I got the I got those stories already. You know, once I got the George Carl story about him not saying hello to him in a restaurant. Um, all right. If that's all it does to take you to put – I mean, you're going to get on the list anyway. The fact that you existed. Ah, you're on the list. How dare you breathe – this is my air. How dare you breathe my air. It's pretty clear that you were going to be put on the list. So uh, Jeter, I, I think, okay, I don't know if there's that much material there without it being a focus on the Yankees. And and the Yankee dynasty, sure, that would be that would be part of it. Sal and Aberdeen, our old buddy. Sal, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing, Gordon? Um, I just turned you on. I heard what you're talking about. I mean, I, it goes back further for me, but the Islander dynasty of the 80s is incredible. 19 consecutive series wins, which has never been matched. You had eight Hall of Famers, which basically was your first line of Trachi, Basse, Gillies, Popvin, and Smith. And to me, it's more personal because I grew up with that team. That I'm the same age as them, and I used to play hockey at a place called Rack and Rink in Farmingdale, which was their practice site. And back then, for some reason, the practices weren't closed. So I went to National Community College, and I had classes in the afternoon, and they practiced at 10 in the morning. And I would go down there, and you were able, believe it or not, to have interaction with them. And you could actually sit down, and I was talking hockey with Trache. I, I've met all those guys, and they would just talk to you on a personal level if you needed help with your game, which was incredible. That's you know, crazy. I saw players like, yeah, I saw players like Esposito or LaFleur, all the greats of the late 70s and 80s, and it was just, they were just regular people, and you could just sit down and talk to them. It was really, really a great experience. And to this day, I mean, I look back at it, and I, I tell my kids, and they're like, they're in shock. My older one is like, you really met all those players and spoke to them on a personal level, which you, you can't do nowadays. 
you, you don't have that interaction no. with, with you know with the fans. Not that kind you know, of access. So no, absolutely not. No, nah, it was great. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, the Islanders certainly, you know, they're, they're the kind of forgotten dynasty. And uh, if, if it had been the Rangers who would accomplish that, it would be you would hear about it all the time. The fact that it's the Islanders, you don't get to hear about it nearly as much. But uh, it might be a little long ago now, right? Like the 80s, uh, the early 80s, that's that's a long time ago. And I don't know. I mean, the fact that there were I guess it's just that I'm old and I don't I just don't realize it. But the fact that there are this many people finding out about Michael Jordan for the first time kind of and getting that kind of firsthand look at it is is shocking to me that that many that, that there were this many people and it's almost funny as well because it's happening at this time there's so many people now who are like going back and binge watching old shows uh, I know a couple of people are watching the sopranos for the first time they never watched the sopranos because they weren't old enough so if if the sopranos if there's enough people going back and watching that, which is, I mean, come on, that's not that long ago. That shows you that it has to be, I think, a little bit more recent than that. I don't think early 80s would uh, would work and get, and again, again, it's hockey, right? And it's a smaller team, smaller fan base. I don't know if it would get the attention. I think you need something a little bit, you need to be able to cast a little bit of a, a wider net. For our poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Focusing on the uh, last episodes of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10, aired last night. And I've seen episode 9, have not seen episode 10 as of yet. I kind of know how the story ends. But uh, we use that as uh, the focus of our poll question today. With If you've seen the last two episodes, if you've not, The Last Dance is complete. If you had to pick another athlete for a 10-part documentary series, and that's the thing. It's not just a documentary on this one person. It's 10 parts. You need somebody who has a, a really rich story to tell, multi-layered, the rise, the fall, and the rise again. And uh, the four I picked for today, A, Barry Bonds, who that would be my choice if I had a vote. I don't. B, Mike Tyson, which I'm, I'm certain are, is going to win and is winning right now. C, Tiger Woods, which I think would be fascinating, although the problem for Tiger, unlike the first two, his story is really not complete as of yet. And then the fourth one, I had to pick a football player, so I went with Tom Brady. I'm sick of Tom Brady. I don't care. Well, look, if it turns out that he wins a championship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's going to be kind of hard not to boost him up higher in the in the vote totals. But at least so far, he is losing, which he probably should get used to now that he's no longer with the Patriots. So there's the poll question. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Dammer. A couple of the things that I wanted to touch on. Before we get back to the phones, A, there's a, po- a story in the New York Post by Paul Schwartz about uh, the bail amount in the DeAndre Baker case. And he talked to a an attorney from Florida who kind of knows the ins and outs of that court and said that the fact that the, the bail amount was set at what it was, $200,000, which is not a lot, that maybe that's a sign – that the case against Baker is not as strong as the prosecution has kind of put out there, right? Like it seemed like on Friday with the details of the story, the witnesses, the the fact that the cars were parked in a certain way, the fact that, you know, DeAndre Baker, I'm sure when he goes places, he's known. Him and and, uh, the other player, the guy from the Seahawks, uh, they would be known to to everyone at that party. And now at least – 
maybe a little bit of a crack now. The problem for Baker is the Giants have already told him that he has to stay away until the legal issues get sorted out. And you'd have to think that with the way things are right now, whatever the normal course of time is to handle legal issues of this sort, armed robbery charges, you have to assume that it's going to take even longer to kind of sort out those issues. Now, speaking of the New York Post, they also had an article from uh, Mark Berman checking in with Charlie Rosen, Phil Jackson's buddy and biographer. And uh, he talked about Phil's time with the Knicks, which you don't need a document. Nobody is floating that as a possibility of a 10-part documentary series, are they? No, Phil Jackson's years with the Knicks. And uh, look, Charlie Rosen is uh, is Phil's buddy, so he's going to try and portray it uh, in a more positive light. But this is just basically rewriting history. And the big headline of it was that Rosen said that if Carmelo Anthony had taken to the triangle offense properly, he could have been Michael Jordan. I mean, is there anything more ridiculous than that? That he would have been Michael Jordan. And here's the problem for Phil, right? Like the article goes on to, you know, he he blames this person that Phil wasn't able to find the right coach. Derek Fisher wasn't the right coach. Jeff Hornacek was a right guy, uh, was a nice guy who thought that he had some knowledge of the triangle because he played against it with the Jazz, but he didn't really. Well, here's the problem for Phil. It's not about putting in a system that you want. It's about taking the talent you have and altering the system to get the most out of that talent. So again, it, if you were the guy running the show, which Phil clearly was, the, the blame still falls on you, especially after you re-sign Carmelo Anthony. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Rosen tries to give Phil credit for wanting to trade Christos Porzingis. And look, the Knicks, when they did trade him, got nothing back for him. But the deal that he even floats out, well, they would have gotten, they would have traded into the Bulls for Laurie Markkinen and a couple other stars. That's not a very good deal either. And then the most ridiculous point of the bunch is that Rosen believes Knicks fans disliked Phil Jackson because he had success with the Bulls at the Knicks' expense, and then he didn't do anything really here. But it was mostly because he had the success with the Bulls. He was a disaster. He was a disaster from jump. Everybody, most people wanted Phil Jackson to get the job. And he got the job. And he was terrible at the job. He was terrible at now, I will say, and I've said before, I don't think that he was the worst person because he did a couple of things that were not terrible. A, he made a real emphasis not to trade away draft picks. That was great. And he didn't go out and lock the Knicks into salary cap hell for the next 10 years. That was also good. Outside of those two things, he was a disaster from jump. So, no, sorry. You can revise all the history you want. when they, If they ever do get around to the 10-part documentary series of Phil Jackson's time with the Knicks, it's going to be the worst dance. That's what they're going <laughs> to – it's the Elaine Bennis dance. That's what they should title it. All right, let's get uh, some phone calls in here. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Mike and Mayo Pack. Mike. Hey, Gordon, how are you? I'm good, man. What's going on? Good, good. Uh, I was thinking more of an event than a person. I was thinking about sports after 9-11. 
Uh, obviously, yeah. all, of, all of America was impacted, and, uh, you know, New York, I'm a New Yorker myself, and uh, we all know the hometown stories, you know, the Piazza home run. Right. Uh, collapse of 2001, uh, you know, Luis Gonzalez, which murders me every time I see it. But, you know, the pressure that the Yankees were playing under in that 2001 World Series with what they did to contribute to getting life back in New York. Yeah, look, I mean, and it's been touched on before. Uh, I don't know, 10 parts, you know, 10 parts. That might be a little bit difficult to do on that one. Uh, but they, no, look, it's a fascinating topic and one has been uh, touched on before and you would kind of have a couple of different teams in there focusing on it. So, uh, Mike, thanks for the call. Let's go to, uh, Corey in Jersey. Corey, go. Hey, good morning, Gordon. What's up? All right, uh, Gordon, I feel like the best option would be Deion Sanders. For the simple fact, his college career, he had a great college career. And then the two sports, the Tim McCarver thing. Then you've got the going, the matching up against Jerry Rice, matching up against Michael Irvin. You get to hear what they were saying. You get to hear how he went to two different teams and won Super Bowls. He's an all-around winner, and I feel like that's one of the only people that you can make a 10-part series about. Well, I don't know if there's 10 parts on Dion, and Corey, thanks for the call. I will say this, if it's, if it's about getting access, Dion will be available. <laughs> he is not, he is not keeping things prime. No, he will be more than happy to sit for the interviews and, and do all that type of stuff. Prime time. And look, the baseball stuff too, right? He would certainly, he had a far better baseball career than Jordan did. All right, finally, Omar in Brooklyn. Go, my friend, quickly. Hello, good morning. Okay, two things. I totally agree with Charlie Rosen. I thought, if Melo was totally in, uh, Kobe Bryant was totally in, that if he would have believed it, he would have been a perfect. He would not have been a Michael Jordan, but he would have been closer because his jump shot was far, far better than anybody that he has worked. So that would have worked tremendously in a, a, a triangle offense. But Melo did not buy in. And he learned from, uh, he got a harsh reality after two years. Now, my point to you, I asked you a question. Uh, there is a trade uh, for Devin Booker. Frank Nelikina, uh, Julius Randle, and the next first-round pick for Booker. Will you do it? Or you will do your pick if you don't win a lottery first-round pick? I heard the Knicks are very high right, on the Omar, we got to go. Uh, look, I have to know where the pick is first before I can uh, – if it's the number one overall pick, I don't know if I'd necessarily – but the other parts of the deal, of course. And even if it was the number one pick, I might still make that deal. But we'll talk more tomorrow. It's the Gordon Damer Show over and out for tonight, for today. Please vote on the poll question. It's up on Twitter at Gordon Damer, and we'll see you tomorrow at 5 a.m. Back for another show. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.